How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. I am Lauren Desser. I am currently a painter, and I work out of my home studio in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And I have had many, many, many creative endeavors in visual arts throughout my life. I tried my hand at music and I am bad at music uh, for the most part. I am not even trying to practice things, but I do own a ukulele um, <laughs> that I look at from time to time. Let's see, and then, you know, I've tried some other creative endeavors, but mainly visual arts was what I gravitated towards. And so when I went to school at North Carolina School of the Arts for my senior year of high school. And that's when I really started to take visual arts a little more seriously. I've been doing it for my whole life, but then I had a few teachers that just really kicked my butt in the gear. And then I, I proceeded to go to East Carolina University and then UMass Dartmouth in, in New Bedford, Massachusetts and get my degree in sculpture, which I promptly did not use. And now I'm a painter. So <laughs> when you were a kid, cause you have a sibling or more than one sibling, just one, one sibling. Yeah. Did you both feel drawn to making things and doing things? And in your family, were they like, yeah, that is cool. Or, you know, stop that. Let's go do our chores. Um, well, my family is really into chores for sure. But <laughs> I mean, but they were also really good about nurturing our creative pursuits. So my sister is a seamstress and she has her own business. She makes clothing and designs like some really red children's clothing. And my parents were really supportive of that. And then uh, for me, same deal. We would just both take over the entire living room floor, which wasn't very big, but we would take it over was also the main path to the only bathrooms in the house. So it was like really treacherous for everyone. But um, <laughs> yeah, we would just do that like every, every evening, pretty much take over the living room floor, or the floors of our bedroom or, or both and pick up whatever it was that we were doing. And, and I would, I don't know, design things and make things like lampshades with silk flowers glued to them or drawings or paintings and she would make clothing. Do you think that if TV and technology was in your life it, to the level it is for children today that you would have been doing that? I mean, uh, what I'm trying to say is if if you were playing video games instead, that might have knocked out the time that you were spending doing this instead. Oh yeah, for sure. We had we had two, maybe three video games. It was on a television. And the, the box was like, I don't know, several feet wide or something. And, and, you know, giant block of, and it had two games. One was a math game. And I was really bad at math. So I was like, well, I'm not doing this. This is dumb. And then the other one was like, dress up 
the little girl in these outfits. And there was like three outfits. So you dressed him up and then you became bored and you left. And yeah, that, that was my video gaming culture as a child when they were first invented. Um, and yeah, so I think that allowing me to play some of those games, I think strategically picking really lame, boring ones was a really good you know, step for my mom. And then later as I, as I had friends that had games and, and things like that, I just couldn't tolerate them. I was like, can we go outside or can we go make a thing or like, let's get in the kitchen and get out all of the food and make something fun. And I just really wanted to do creative pursuits. And my friends were like, God, you're really weird. Don't you want to play Mario cars? And I was like, no, this is dumb. I don't like the color scheme. Um, <laughs> it's too fast. It's too flashy. The colors are weird. I don't like the noise. It was just too much. It was, it was way too much. It was my, maybe like a sensory overstimulation thing. I don't know. But um, I, I truly despised video games then and the scene now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like you had an aversion, maybe partly natural one mixed with your mom allowing some of it mm -hmm. against that, which also might have drawn you to or might be a little bit opposite to, you know, the stimulus that comes from making and creating and and as a, a parent, I'm thinking about that a lot. And you also work with kids. You've got nieces and nephews mm -hmm. around you. And it's an interesting thing for sure. I'm curious, when you went to the School of the Arts, what was different about that, do you think, that supported you as a teenager versus like an art class in a standard high school? Yeah. So standard high school, you are in a class of mixed class of interest levels in one class. And uh, yeah, I spent like three years teaching high school now. So I'm like, wow, this is really awful for artists who, who actually want to be here. But you get art one and you get like a few kids that just need the art credit. And you get a few kids who are pretty good at art, but really just want to draw the cartoon that they love. And then you get the kids that are like real super creative people and want to do the art. And then you have some other in between, obviously. But you have to teach as a teacher to all levels, all the different levels and engage them all. And some kids just don't care. Yeah, so I was in a class like that in high school. I had a couple teachers in high school that, that were rough for me because I was the creative kid and really had a drive to make my own art and to make my own discoveries. I wanted to study the human figure. I wanted to learn about anatomy and that just wasn't okay in early 2000s. Hillsboro, um, North Carolina, because it was very conservative and we all wear clothes and we don't know what the human figure looks like. And that's fine forever. So because I was a spiteful child, I created various studies of anatomy <laughs> and on purpose. And I wasn't very good at it. Like if my teacher had handed me an anatomy book and said like, go to town, have a great time. Cool. I would have done that and learned some stuff and probably wouldn't have made so much bad art. Um, but then, you know, I went to three different high schools and I had this teacher, her name was Julie Dayton Pleiter, and she was awesome. She actually let me teach some of the classes, like one, like a, I think I taught a lesson on how to draw faces because by then I had like been studying that on my own and taught how to draw faces. And I got a real look into teaching high school, which was intense. And that was cool. And I was like, okay, cool. Teaching's, teaching's kind of fun. And I really love that. And then she's like, you know what? 
I see that you're struggling in this, in this community. And I see that you're kind of spinning your wheels. Here's a school, North Carolina School of the Arts, that actually takes kids out of their communities. And you audition, and it's free. And you go there and you stay like you're in college. So you stay in a dorm, you study, you study like really hard classes, you have exhibitions, you learn all the stuff. And maybe you should try out. Maybe you should, you know, compile a portfolio. So I did. And I went, I met some extremely terrifying and intimidating instructors. But I really wanted to go there because it's like, oh my God, these are my people. I want to be here. And so I did. I, I went and I auditioned and my parents were like, well, I don't know. You might, you might get in. I don't know. Maybe. Which is exactly what they should have said. Because I was like, I'll show you being a spiteful child. I guess I was pretty spiteful now that I talk about it. Um, And I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get in. You wait and see. So like, I worked really hard for a year. I built up my portfolio. I went to the interview. I left crying because it was so high pressure. And they let me in, (laughs) which was, you know, astonishing to me. So off I went. So looking back on that now, there's a mix. Sometimes I feel like from a creative point of view, it's good to be around. I mean, obviously it's always good to be around all kinds of people at the same time. Maybe that needs to be mixed with a group of people that understand the creative things you're trying to do. Uh, Because you also clearly benefited from being in a scene with teachers and with other students and all of that, that really push you to the next level versus trying to just fight for it by yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like both are good, but I think it's a cool thing to think about in terms of if you're feeling stuck yourself, even as an adult to go find a place to go be with some people like that. It doesn't even have to be professionally like places like Penland school of crafts and Aramont and the folk school, that kind of thing. And you go for a week, you go for two months and then you can go back home and mm-hmm. carry it with you. Yeah, that community is is key. And um, once you get out of school, it's so hard to find again. And and I'm glad that places like Penland and Aramont and um, the folk school are around for for grownups looking for their tribe because maybe you knew a couple people in college and maybe you've lost touch or maybe they live across the country. It's it's really nice to be able to like just be like, oh yeah, not all alone. You know, it's cool. And there's like a warm, sweet feeling when you're sitting next to somebody who's kind of like you um, Mm -hmm. in terms of ways of seeing the world or whatever. Of course, always mixed with sitting next to people that think differently too. I think you know what I mean. And taking classes is a fun way to do that or finding a teacher. And speaking of teachers, some of what's coming from your story too of development as a creative person was you had support from your parents, but also other adults around you that made suggestions. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should do that. Also, it sounds like you had some pretty intense teachers (laughs) in terms of quality (laughs) and level for the age that you were. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a certain teacher or mentor or somebody who's really, who stands out to you that really helped you really choose this? Because it's not always easy to do this as your work and as your life. Yeah. I've had so many of those, but at School of the Arts, it was Clyde Fowler. He, he is no longer living, but he was hilariously terrifying. So like when I look back, Clyde, I think rumor had it that he started off teaching like elementary or preschool. And he was so scary to me. He, he just had this like enormous impact on me because I was like, oh, I better get my ass in here, um, <laughs> you know, and 
like he would kick out a kid for yawning in his class. So I learned to yawn with my mouth closed. Um, <laughs> That's pretty bad. It was a lot. Like I also discovered uh, that I had some pretty severe anxiety problems at that point. But anyway, um, yeah, so he was he was super scary, but also he taught me to draw and to see, which is pretty much, in my opinion, just about all you need as an artist to like get you going. You just learn how to look and then go do the thing. So he, he really uh, impacted like how I drew and how I uh, perceived art. And I will certainly never forget him uh, for many reasons. And then let's see, at ECU, I had some really amazing professors and then I had my sculpture community, and it was Carl Billingsley, who was a really amazing teacher. And he would sit me down and be like, you know, you're a little bit strange and, and very Southern, and it's a, it's a type, and, and it's going to work for you. It's <laughs> like, yes, you see me, Carl. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. Well, that was um, my next question was, what were the character traits or style or things they said to you that you think helped so much? Well, um, some of it was like the critique and the standard that they held me to, but also like being available as people. That's the cool thing about college. You go to college and you're like, teachers are teachers and they're terrifying, but it turns out that they're actually humans and will be nice to you if they like you and like talk to you like a normal person, which is so crazy to me. Um, a revelation. I, it's a revelation. I love that, you know, because you, you put them as a child, like on this pedestal that you, you could never, they'll never understand me. I don't understand them kind of thing to be in college and just to be seen, which was pretty cool. Kiki Farish and Beth Blake both taught foundations drawing and painting. And I just loved hanging out with them as people. They, they had like their, their own thing going on and they would take time to talk to me and also like give me honest feedback about my work, which was great. And then Carl, of course, he was just really encouraging and encouraged me to be the person that I think I was supposed to be. And, you know, kind of like go back into my Southern roots. And he, he really encouraged me to kind of stick with what I was doing. And despite, like, even in the art community, you get a lot of mainstream stuff going on. And then you get people who, who kind of go off into really niche areas. And I was the niche area person. So I, I got into wood carving and I got into like toy making a little bit and I got into clay and so yeah. it was like a mix of honest feedback with yeah. nurturing encouragement, mm -hmm. the hard side and the soft side um, yeah. put together. And then you're talking about how in school that was so cool to have somebody reach down and say, you know, catch you if you're in a rut kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How do you do that when you're out of school and you're an adult and you're by yourself in your studio? Lord, how do you do that? Well, periodically, my mother will say, what about something new? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, family will always say. And then sometimes I listen. Eventually, I listen. Um, there's there's some critique groups that I haven't had time to go to that I would love to one day go to. You can have that community. I have some creatives that are just my friends, like my next door neighbor is an herbalist and and she's really creative as well. And so she'll come and, and look at my stuff from time to time. And yeah, it's just building up a community of people who won't say stuff to, to make you feel better. 
they'll say whatever is true for them, which is nice. My husband does that. He's, he's fantastic. He's an excellent critic and also a very realistic thinker. He's an engineer and I am not, I am neither good at math nor am I good at structure or visualizing structure. And so I can build a thing that will not stand up on its own. And he can build the skeleton afterwards and like stuff it inside. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good pairing. Yeah. And it, it's good to have people who, who think differently from you around you, but are also like into the creative, you know, pursuit. And it's interesting because, you know, some people listening also, including myself, I didn't go to school for art and I'm just thinking about folks who are like, okay, well, I know I'm called to these things but I'm not in school or I didn't do that as school when I went to school. And now you're also a teacher. What are some thoughts about people getting started? I mean, for me, I was always creative and doing, and there was always music, dance, art, music, dance, art. And I rotate through the three and I'd think, Oh, I need to just choose one. And then it would felt like I was, I had lost my arm or something and I had to do all three. And there was encouragement. I definitely took classes, had mentors, did things, but also I had that inner feeling that was so strong. I was like, I have to do this. I have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over. And that repetition, we naturally get better and we don't have to have our school, but it's definitely been wonderful finding classes and teachers anyway. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, one way to get started in any medium is to be able to see, well, what was the other Oh, basically to get your hand to do what you're seeing. Yeah. What you're seeing. Yeah. To get your hand and your brain to talk to one another and also your eyes. If you can, if you can get that, it's, it's kind of like practicing motor skills, whatever that motor skill means to you. Maybe it's music, maybe it's uh, sculpture, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's, you know, dance and practicing that. And then also practicing seeing like noticing uh, one of the things about artists that make us different, I think, is that we notice, you know, we notice and then we have that will to create. Speaking of that, you're now full-time artist, right? Mm-hmm. After various careers here and there that we're always connected. It's not that you ever left that feeling, but to make the choice to get a big fancy van and pack things up and do oh, art yeah. shows and everything. <laughs> is that easy? Oh, boy. Um <laughs> I think about this a lot lately because what we share, we're supposed to as artists, Mm -hmm. me too, we see each other on Instagram, uh, Facebook, we're we're at a show and we're smiling and we're sharing and we're doing and here's what I'm working Mm -hmm. on. And sometimes that means people assume I'm in my studio all the time, which isn't true. There's so much computer work that goes with getting things printed, getting things scanned, getting things, you know, there's so much behind the scenes. Some of that romance is true. Some of it is just plain old dirty, hard work. (laughs) So that's what I'm curious about your thoughts on that, the actual painting and also the realities that are kind of behind the scenes and what that's like. Yeah. So Let's just start with daily routine. I am in the studio as much as I possibly can be. And the only way I can do that without abandoning the studio fully to clean the house and tend the chickens and and trim the grass outside, which is like knee high and do all this other stuff is that I have a schedule and I have a planner. And it took me a little bit of a a time to figure that out. I started off being just kind of like all over the place for probably the first, you know, 75 
percent of my life. And then I, when I started teaching public school, my time was very regimented. If I did not carve out some time for me in the studio, then I would slowly, you know, descend into insanity. So I uh, came home from teaching all day, and then I would do something about dinner and hop in the studio. At sometimes I would like, especially particularly when I was planning my escape from public school, I would work from when I got home to nine or 10 at night in the studio and try to tend all the animals and take care of the food for the family. But that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to have more time to paint and, and that teaching was not, I mean, I like to teach and I still teach a little bit, but I, I cannot do the, the full-time thing. Anyhow, I learned scheduling from public school. I would say that's the most valuable lesson I learned from being a teacher is scheduling. And so now as a full-time artist, I do teach a couple classes online every week and I have this planner. Let me show you this sucker. This thing um, is great. It's called a self planner and this is my week. And it's got like time slots. And so like every single day we start off with yoga and then we let the chickens out. And then this is me and the dog, by the way, that's the we. Oh, it's Um, not me, myself and I. No, it's me and the dog and sometimes the cats. (laughs) And he actually is an awesome timekeeper and he will nag me if I get distracted. And he's like, no, 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 it is time to let out the chickens. And he'll whine and like breathe on me until we do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then we start off in the studio doing the thing. And like, sometimes that's taxes. And sometimes that's oftentimes that's like planning out social media releases and stuff. And then also making videos and recording myself doing the work. And then on Thursdays, we clean the house. And like, you have to just group the, the like tasks together. And if you can do that, then you can have a whole day, maybe two, possibly three on a lucky week where you can be in the studio painting, doing the thing. Um, yeah, because I, for me, I need uninterrupted time to be creative and I need a pretty good chunk of it. And ideally I've been running studies on myself, but ideally that happens right after some amount of exercise. Yeah. But I can work all day until I teach my afternoon classes or possibly all day in general, but I, I only, only get that done by grouping tasks. And the grouping gives you a freedom to include the exercise part, you know, Mm -hmm. the accounting part, the gardening part. Um, I agree. It's a really nice feeling to know what I'm supposed to be doing next. Yes. And when you're your own boss, it's like, you're telling yourself that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's a funny feeling. Yeah, it is. It is. And, And I'm always having to chase after myself basically, which makes me sound crazy, but chase after myself to like, no, you do have it is seven o'clock. If you don't do yoga, your body won't work for the rest of the day and neither will your brain. You'll just kind of be all over it. So I'm like, okay, fine. you just got to keep it all running, but it, time slots are, are just key. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like the yoga, you know, we, when we get really busy, we tend to drop things like that, but it's actually the tool. It's one of your creative mm-hmm. tools and it's necessary and important so the other can happen just like drinking water for the day. And to really honor it and not toss it. Almost the busier we are, the more we need it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You do. And that's why I plan it for so early in the morning. Like uh, Walt leaves for work and I go do yoga immediately afterwards. Otherwise, I'll wander off and clean the house or start pulling weeds or something. 
I know this is something we agree on that being creative is good for us. Humans love having their hands in things and making things. It not it doesn't have to be as your job. It could be you love cooking. It could be you love, you know, salsa dance or whatever. What are your thoughts about the idea that something like that's good for us? We should do it because then when it's good for us, it's good for the people around us, mm-hmm. which means it's good for the whole dang planet. Yeah. And what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So I, I've noticed uh, from my own experience that when I am doing something that does not feed my soul on a regular basis, like maybe it's, um, I don't know, it, I've, I've worked many, 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 many jobs, different kinds of jobs. And um, the ones that, the only one that has truly like made me, I think, into a well-rounded, reasonably calm person is is doing art and like being my own boss because I do have like specific needs for my work environment and I need you know I need to be able to to do that um to do those things like take breaks or whatever but uh yeah so if I am doing that then I am a reasonably calm well-adjusted pretty happy person you know I do get into my to my moods but in the end couple days, I'm coming out of it, you know, and, and I've had, um, you know, my whole life kind of struggled with anxiety and, and depression. And so um, I didn't really realize that what I was doing was impacting that um, and like making it worse. So public school, anxiety, it's not a good mix. Those poor children, they're like, wow, she's found it tight. Um, and then some other things like I, I need to have, um, you know, community, I just, I need to have certain things. So if I'm in an isolating job or I'm in a job that just doesn't feed my soul, I'm a kind of an awful person, um, hard to be around. And, um, yeah, so, so it's important to try, even if you do have to work a, a job that pays the bills, like to do something else that feeds your soul and makes you a good person. And I was listening, I started to listen to Lizzo. I don't know if you listen to Lizzo, but, um, Oh, she's amazing. Um, so she's got these songs that are just so uplifting. And one of her songs is called Juice. It's about doing what you're meant to do. And one of the lines is, if I'm shiny, everybody gonna shine. So like, if you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, you're, you're gonna nice. shine. And so is everybody else. Well, in closing, which is connected to We Should Listen to Lizzo, which also music is such a fun way to get connected with your body and wake yourself up and re-remember yourself, you know, dancing, all that kind of stuff. So handy. It's another tool in the back pocket for shifting our brain when we need it. Who are some creatives who you are following right now or books or what are things that you're watching and loving that are filling up your inspiration cup right now? Ah, okay. So um, in my studio, when I am working for long periods of time, I listen to young adult fiction, fantasy in particular. I love the Flavia Deleuze series. It is for uh, tweens, probably. And (laughs) I love it. So she's like this saucy little girl from England. And she is also solving murder mysteries. You know, just normal stuff. They have a lot of pastries and I enjoy that. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite series. And then uh, artist Lucia Heffernan is from Utah and, or sorry, Lucia Heffernan. And they paint like really awesome animals wearing clothing. It's just super whimsical and fun. And then 
Kamira Wachna is out of Seattle and that's like a, another fantasy painter with, you know, animals and just like really, really gorgeous, lovely fantasy scapes. And then, yeah, both of them are on Instagram, by the way, you can look them up. And then my neighbor is Hannah Popish. She is an herbalist and natural healer and she is a creative too. She has this magical herb garden right next door. We have like a little neighbor gate garden visit thing. She writes about plants and she writes about all their properties and growing them. And so that's all pretty inspirational. And then, yeah, I just uh, started listening to podcasts and yours is one of them. So that's been really, it's really nice to hear other creative people talk about the creative process. Well, I appreciate you being here so much and joining in the conversation. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. (laughs) Yes, everyone check out Lauren's work. She's got really beautiful. I mean, you're talking about the animals and the whimsical and you're also kind of describing yourself. And so if you're curious about her paintings, you definitely should check it out. And it's fun. That's one thing you and I also have in common is the animals in our paintings. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool how they'll overlap with Luna Moss, but in such a different way and how as artists, we can only make what we make that's ourselves and has our own mark on it. And how cool it is to have similar subjects or, and take it such different directions, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm loving all the, the um, constellations you have in your work and like the spiritual meaning of the animals. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing stuff. There's something special about animals and nature. And I love talking to you and I can't wait to talk more soon and keep on painting girl. Well, thanks. You too. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. If you would like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. I also hope that you're inspired to subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fainhouse, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards for my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you'll get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You'll also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If that all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash Fainhouse to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. I'm Annie Fane Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Art is unquestionably one of the purest and highest elements in human happiness. It trains the mind through the eye and the eye through the mind. As the sun colors flowers, so does art color life. John Lubbock.